I just want to say I'm sorry. Sorry beyond articulation. A lot of it is, uh, I owe my community. I took, I was a part, <clears throat> real big part of the problem, right in my own neighborhood. Now, did I go rob houses and, you know, and all that stuff? No, but did I steal from a few friends? Yeah. Did I steal from my family? Yeah. Did I steal from stores or whatever? Yeah. Uh, this is a, I mean, this whole neighborhood, um, now it's refurbished and beautifully. Um, this is a really, this is 30 years. <clears throat> I was uh, really bad here. This was, this house right here uh, were friends of mine 30 years ago who are still friends of mine, uh, but one's gone. Um, did I sell drugs in and about the streets of Binghamton, New York? Right here where we sit, Roger, I've shot up more cocaine in these two blocks than I could ever recall. Um, and I really do, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, uh, to the cops. There are a, a, just a ton of good cops, man, who, who just, who really did want to arrest me, who really rather had seen me straightened out. I just want to say I'm sorry. Sorry beyond articulation. I owe my community, and this isn't, uh, how do I say this, man? I'm not looking for absolution, or definitely not fucking looking for pity. But it's damn sure got nothing to do with my upbringing, and or my community, and or my closest friends, my close-knit downtown center city friends, who are predominantly Italian and black, it's uh, it's uh, scary because I'm I'm not even like scratching the surface of what really transpired here, the many many summers long winters, just like a a zombie, um, you know. I'm not gonna speak for anyone else, but <clears throat> for all intents and purposes, uh, whether it's cocaine, which is my drug of choice, or heroin or whatever, it uh, reduces you to an animalistic behavior. You have one sole purpose when you rise. That's if you went to sleep. And uh, all the way to you fall out. And when I say fall out, I mean, fall out, God forgive me. <clears throat> Nothing stops me until police rescue me. You, you die long before you die. You die. <clears throat> For anyone young, when you are approached, because it will, it, obviously it'll happen, it's just part of life. The nice stuff you did with your parents, your mother, <clears throat> your little sister, your little brother, you gotta know. Forget football. Forget baseball. Forget basketball. Your grades, that's probably gonna go the first. Forget about nice girls. <clears throat>
And I, that's not to say that a drug addict girl is a bad girl because they're all good girls. I don't mean that whatsoever. And, and your friends that you, you know, did everything with growing up, everything is, that part of your life is over. To the cops, there are a, just a ton of good cops, man. I'm thankful. They're a big part of the reason I'm here, believe it or not. And, and I really hope that you, you, you listen and, and really feel that I mean this. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> Thanks for rescuing me. This is American Real. I am Roger Brooks. My guest today is Joseph Jeremiah Yannese. From the age of 18 to your mid-50s, you battled with many addictions, including narcotics and alcohol. In addition, you spent over 20-plus years collectively in jails, prisons, and other institutions. You admit to use of marijuana to combat anxiety and anger, and today you're doing well, working hard to overcome your demons knowing full well that you're a split-second decision away from disaster. Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here, Roger. I, look, I <clears throat> appreciate so much that you're doing this because it's not easy, right? You've, you've, no. you've gone through so much in your life. and I've put myself through so much in my life. I'm glad you said that because I want to help young kids that are watching this maybe learn something from your story that could help them on their journey. And I think the first thing, right, is to admit fault, right? Not to blame others and, and, and you take full responsibility for well, your actions. Uh, well, there's, uh, I mean, there's just no other way. Um, I, I, I brought it all on myself and I paid the piper, so to speak. Um, no bad mommy, daddy, brothers, sisters. I had the best. I had the best family, the best community, friends, neighbors, as I say, community. Um, I had all the advantages. Um, and, and that includes, I don't care about a, a monetary or where, what neighborhood I'm from. It didn't matter. I could have done whatever I wanted to do. And I chose to take a hard left in life instead of going with my original friends. Uh, and that's how I ended up like I am. And Joe, looking back, do you think it was a combination of, I know you have a big family, uh, older brothers and sisters, trying to be older, um, trying to impress people, um, I trying to fit in? I can't tell you how many hours countless that I've had <laughs> during them 20 years to think about stuff like that. Drive yourself crazy. Um, I don't recall that. I, I know, I can only tell you what my mother always faulted herself for foolishly. Um, she said I was 
too young to play with Mike and John, Colleen and Mary Jo. And so I had four little sisters who I adored. It was like a guard dog. <laughs> and my mother said I'd be, everything would be beautiful. I'd be in their room playing with them. And blah, 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 the day goes on and she'd hear a screech from somebody in there, one of the girls, and go in there and just pluck me out. She felt that that was like, you know, it's ridiculous. But maybe the start of yeah. taking you out of a, a situation that you were yeah, wasn't comfortable in. Or, yeah, well, she just, probably accepting the blame, but she, she felt like she, you know, that I may have looked at it like that or interpreted it like that. It's too young to interpret anything, you know, pro or con with the situation. So, again, my mother's thoughts are respectfully foolish, you know. I was a... It wasn't long after that I went to Southside Park, but go ahead. And what was that? My sisters took me there, which is why I kind of think maybe my mother, what her thoughts were, were incorrect that, you know, like I looked upon her badly, but maybe she had an idea about how being pulled out and kind of like no man's land maybe for a bit, whatever it was. But my first trip to Southside Park, Five, I think I was. Um, my my oldest sister Mary Jo and Colleen took me, and ice skating, and uh, it was there that I met like the first. Those are my South Side friends. Uh, I got beat up actually that day and held in the snow, and so it was a baptism by fire. Danny Tinder, who I love to this day, uh, is the one that beat me up, and I met and loved and hung out with forever uh, Tony D'Amelia and Vince D'Amelia and Tommy Hannigan. And after that day, that was like, that was big. So I, I, I really couldn't give you exacts, but I really believe that I did start walking over the Tonka Street Bridge, like not long after that, by myself. And then throughout my early youth, I would run away. I'd leave at summertime. My father would do whatever, whatever, and I'd be out the window back to Southside Park again. So I was a bit of a incorrigible right from the start. What years were this? Like sixties, uh, late oh yeah, sixties. I'm uh, so it's uh, five. It's nineteen sixty-seven. So I would say right around from nineteen sixty-seven is that was before I went to school, and now that's a whole other news story. You know, now now I got my neighborhood friends and but um that's where it all started. Taking off and pretty much doing what I want and I got spanked, whatever, disciplined. So were you uh, kind of a mischievous, mischievous rebel child from early on? I I think but I I don't think by design. I it's ridiculous to, to think of a, a kid <laughs> I tell my mother, I, she we joke a lot, and uh, and I tell her, I said, Ma, you, you do realize I stopped listening to you at like five? Do you really? Are we really still here? <laughs> but um, I kind of did what I wanted from five, and and then at nine things really changed. Um, what happened? Well, I started smoking cigarettes. 
I think I became a drug addict. I think that behavior, all the behaviors that I exhibited to purchase, cover my breath, hide the cigarettes outside, smoke wherever I'm smoking. I think, you know, I, I later read somewhere in a Hazelton book or something, some recovery book. I think that that's pretty much where it started. And then um, Southside, well, I, I started smoking pot right here in downtown Binghamton with a friend who obviously I won't name, um, at nine and a half. And then at Southside Park, basically from nine on, we drank Boone's Farm wine on the weekends, robbed the liquor store, not robbed and, you know, we were, bunch of little hoodlums, I guess you would call them, call us. Um, and it was pretty much like that weekend warrior stuff. And by hook or by crook, I wasn't going to be, you know, if I knew the boys were somewhere and I knew they were, I'm getting there somehow, some way, and I'll take the beating now, now, later, whatever. I was just, I, I don't understand. There, there's just no rhyme or reason. It's got nothing to do with my parents, my upbringing, or my brothers and sisters, who I love and adore. And, and you fall right in the middle, right? Yes, four older, four younger. And I don't place much credence in that stuff either. But who am I? <laughs> right, some of those things are bigger than us <laughs> yeah. that we may not know. Exactly. So what happened with school? So you, you, you said you, you were in and out of schools. Yeah. This is elementary school? Okay, my school career, funny fact, every single school I ever went to either was cl closed down or I was kicked out of. So school started at St. Mary's, and I love St. Mary's. Um, and those were my, were my original friends, Center City friends, Georgie Slavic and uh, Luciano Piccarelli. We were uh, a threesome, inseparable. Um, there's a lot of stories in there, but I mean, if we're going through the schools, um, that was great. It closed. I went to St. John's. Everything was different. And I, I don't, I, at that time, I didn't have a reputation because, you know, I was a, well, I was probably a little, like you said, mischievous. But um, something really tragic happened there that I, that I still bothers me to, to this day. I feel so remorseful and so small. Wintertime, now the dates and the seasons, I'll, you know, cut. Some are there, some aren't, but I'm, I'm certain of this being wintertime because it was King of the Mountain, the snow plow hill in back of St. John's School. I pushed a girl far too hard um, off the mountain, off the thing. She broke her arm. Whew. And uh, obviously, it's terrible, horrific. And, um, Went home, got beatings in regular intervals for a month. But I don't know how long after that. This all this all just came together because this is a really. I'm not proud of this, but I, I'll tell you, I never lost any sleep over it either. <clears throat> I'm in class one day, 
and obviously this had already happened. God, I hope these are the sequence of events. And um, I mean, I know, I know this happened. A nun, Sister Regina Marie, came to the door. Now, I don't recall doing anything outlandish or anything, but maybe looking at the teacher at the front of the room, believe it or not. And um, she had called me out, whatever, how she stopped the teacher and the joke. And I was out there maybe two seconds. I, I kind of like just faced her, and she didn't even say anything to me, just a haymaker. I mean, she cocked back to Vestalev on me and just smashed me perfect across the face, open-handed. And I, I can't even recall the... All I, all I recall is, and I don't even recall this because it was just a, such a normal reaction, I gave her the best right hook that I ever shot at that age. Wow. Um, and bolted out of the school and ran and didn't stop running until I got to Columbus Park. And uh, didn't go home. I don't believe I went home that night. I believe I slept somewhere around St. Mary's gym. But uh, now I'm kicked out. And of course, back to the with my father. <laughs> and um, Lincoln School was next. <clears throat> Another horrific thing. One that I brought on myself, but now we're going, my reputation precedes itself. So I don't know what kind of struggles I had. I, I remember a principal messing with me. Charles, I, I don't remember his, if he had left and Miss McNulty came later. She took over the principal squad. But he didn't like me from the start. Anyways, again, this is my fault. Another student was carrying a science project. It was something that took quite some time to <clears throat> to do. It was an egg and vinegar and uh, slowly eroded the shell and made it translucent. And I don't know what in God's name possessed me to do what I did. I really don't. I wish I could remember. Apparently I was a little punk like that, but I don't remember being a fucking punk like that. And I think I knew the kid, too. I don't know. I just don't recall why. I did. It smashed, and all hell broke loose. Now, this kid's been doing this project for God knows how long. Now, his teacher, it, and like I said, it got crazy. So I was kicked out of school. And not only kicked out of school, I, my parents were told I would not be allowed back there and or any other school in Binghamton, in the city, unless I came back and got on my knees, literally got on my knees. And I don't know if they said begged for mercy or apologize. I don't recall. What I do recall is my parent, parents exhausting all avenues, trying to get me into another school. So they were accurate in their, what they told them. Um, so I was made to do it. So the day that it happened, foggy, all I remember is this woman, these two women, and my mother and father, and I don't know if Jeff was there, which Jeff snuck me. We got, you know, not really a fight. He got me good. 
he kind of got me and I wasn't looking. And, uh, but no hard feelings. Love to this day. I was dead wrong. And we still talk, still see each other often. But um, I got on my knees and I, I don't recall the exact words. I recall pain, man, like, you know, like something, not pain, just like agita, like <laughs> never before. Something's coming up, not vomit, just rage or I don't know. But I got down and I did it and I had seen the looks in my parents' face as I did. Uh, so I got it over with, immediately jumped up, went out, flew out the door, flew down the hall, down the steps, bolted out the front door, ran to, I think, Columbus Park again or Tree my somewhere, and I didn't go home that night. Um, am I blaming these people for my drinking? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. A little crazy what they did, certainly. But, uh, you know, I was progressively becoming worse. Now, this had pretty much cemented for me, though, that all bets are off. There is no teacher, no cop, truant, father, mother, brother, sister, nobody. No one was going to tell you what to do. No, no. I mean, they could do it, tell me what to do all they want. And, you know, I, I, whatever kind of line I had a toe to, you know, skirt around and do what I want to do, do what I like to do. I did, but for the most part, there was nobody ever fucking humiliate me like that again. Ever. So the cigarettes, the marijuana, that started when you were nine, nine and a half, ten. And sex. Ever. Terrible. A girl, I think a year or two older, it wasn't like she raped me or anything, nothing like that. I was... Uh, participant um, performed a sexual act in the park. Not even 10 years old. Oh. That's horrific. Looking back on, horrific. So you have that going on. You have the cigarettes, marijuana, trouble in school. Trouble everywhere, yeah. Trouble everywhere. So what was the home, your home life like at that time? trouble there as well? Um, well, yeah. Any any time I was in trouble outside, you, you got you to gotta pay. And what were your older brothers and sisters doing? Were they trying to help? Were they talking to you? Were they um, too busy? Um, no, they weren't too busy. Absolutely not. My, my brothers... I don't think there was really, like, talk... Um, like, you know, sit me down, you know, Joe, you gotta, you know, I don't recall that. They, they may tell you something different and, and if they do, then they're accurate because, you know, my brain's not what it used to be. I know my brothers love me. That's for damn sure. And I know I worship them. My brother Mike and I, I hated him for a while because <laughs> he didn't take no shit. He, you know, he, we, we went at it. I mean, I, I didn't get one win, but. Um. Yeah, the the pressure was at home too. Cause it, I mean, I, I don't want to be there. I want to be out. And if I'm home, it must be that I'm not able to go out. You know. Um, and I was uh. I wasn't a. I'm not saying I was a bad kid to my parents, but 
you know, that's just not nice. You know what I mean? Not nice. I caused my parents whew, irreparable, spiritual, mental uh, pain. My mother slept the best <clears throat> when I was in jail. <laughs> it's terrible to say. She slept the best when I was locked up. She knew you were safe. Yep. Yep. So let's get there, Joe. Uh, 13, 14, 15, you're, you're, it, it seems like it's getting progressively worse. Worse and worse. Each school I hit a teacher. Okay. On the way. Okay. So there's 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 anger going on too, right? You're, you're hitting people, you're yeah. fighting, you're, you know... It, Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I just, I'm trying to... Unbased, though, unfounded. I don't know where, mm -hmm. you know, I couldn't have collected all that anger. Well, maybe I could have with Ann McNulty and Sister Regina Marie. Maybe I could have. But I'm not, I'm not here to, you know, I'm not blaming them. Um, but yeah, I guess maybe that's was some anger. And what they did to me and the repercussions, you know, because I didn't just get that happened. I got to pay the pay Big Don's penalty on Henry Street. Your dad. And that was rough. Yeah. I'd rather him smack the shit out of me than not look at me or not talk to me. That used to kill me. Because yeah. him and I, you know, I used, there was a saying I, they always used to make me say when I was a kid, my daddy's my buddy. And, uh, you know, we were tight. He protected me. He protected me against Mike. So, for, for parents that are listening, or you know, what what are some signs that kids may be doing, you know, to try to help them see some of the uh, activity or, or patterns that that you? I, I guess just not engaging. I, I don't think I was too. I was uh, just a loser. I wanted to be out. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be home. Um, so that, that might be a sign then. You're yeah, I, I think so. Um, what what the kid might want to be out for, I mean, it's not a guaranteed thing. I, it's hard. To, it's really hard, especially in this day and age, um, where everything is just at their fingertips. And, you know, it's, it's some can cover it. I mean, it will definitely come out. It's just hard to, to, to really know. If, for me, if I had a kid, being an addict. Now, if I see the kid's eyes, I, I'll tell you, boom. Well, if you, I, if I see his for? mannerisms. What are you looking for in the eyes? I could read a guy on a street corner right here, Susquehanna Street. I could see a person now in my day, God forgive me, when it was terrible, when I was a real big part of the problem which is a big part of me wanting to do a book. Because um, I'm sorry to Binghamton for being a part of the problem. Um, but I could tell a guy who doesn't have drugs or money for drugs, looking for him, just bought drugs on his way to go get them, blah, blah, or look in their eyes. I mean, I, I could see it all from a mile away. I mean, if... The heroin, 
it's, it's, it's not difficult. You have no pupils. If your kid's got no pupils, if they're pin razor point pupils, I don't care what's going on. You need to shake them up or, or not shake them up. I, I, that's another thing. I don't know. It's another big hurt for me. I have a son. Had nothing to do with him. Nothing to do with him. Um, and that's another whole story. But um, cocaine, everybody knew I was high the minute I, I hit the room. Came so it, it makes your pupils dilate. dilate. Cocaine dilates. There's no, there's no, you know, if you got nice pretty blue eyes, they're basically you got a little rim of blue and the rest black. And then heroin, heroin the opposite. The complete opposite. Okay. That's immediate. And I'll tell you what, in this day and age and with heroin, I'd be checking my kids' arms. I really would. Really would. If, if a parent had, I mean, there's, I know parents, you know, you got to give your kids some privacy and, and all this stuff. But you know what, at this point, at, at the way they fall and, and die. You have to intervene. They're, you, they're, they're, you know what, give me your arm. Give me that, and, and you know, that's it. And whatever conflict that causes, and here's the biggest problem for me. I'm going to say, I, I need to keep all this on me because I'm, it's just, this is on me. Um, I would never, my mother's obviously going to hear this. I always thought, and I knew, and I played it, you know, I, I took advantage, uh, you know, my parents enabling, but they stopped. Finally, uh, they stopped and but I'm thinking if they would have just said, you know, get the, and of course they had many times, but I always come back and somehow weasel my way back in. I'll do better, blah, blah, blah. What's a parent going to do? My mother and father love me, you know? And I trampled on it. So I think if they had just, but I don't know. <laughs> you know, I got sent away at 15. I came back, it was only three years later, now I got a needle in my arm. It, it's, and, I, and my life basically was over as I knew it. And I was okay with it is the saddest part. I didn't, I didn't invest in myself and or a future or anything. I, I really, honest to God to you, Roger, I didn't think I was going to be here past 25. Um, I really didn't. Really didn't. And um, I, uh, all self-inflicted wounds. I have nobody to blame. Never been a blamer. Pretty brutally honest guy. I'm not going to be brutally honest, and nor have I been in the courts and the system. You know, that's obviously I'm not going to do that. Today, though, I'm a brutally honest guy, and I've always been pretty brutally honest, but. For me, addiction, it, it, it attacks you, you know, I, I don't do cocaine, heroin, alcohol, pills, blah, blah, blah. Um, but there's other behaviors, and um, I'm not closely affiliated with NA. I don't do it as it's prescribed. God bless all of them, because it's one of the most wonderful things on the planet, that NAA. But I do know the 12 steps, and I do practice humility, I wake up in the morning, I beg God, not that I have to, and I talk to God like a homeboy, man. 
every day. And sometimes and if people see me in traffic and they might think I'm a little cuckoo because I really like talk to them. Um, you sound remorseful. Not even close, just beyond remorseful. I have a lot of full of regrets, full of uh, hurt, pain that I hurt pain because of causing others hurt pain or not. You know, it starts with family, obviously. Um, I've crushed their spirits and hopes for me and disappointed them and and I get that, but now I want to ask you, because you're on the other side of things now, what are things like now? Wow. How, how's the relationship with your mom, with your siblings? Are they supporting you? Has it, ha, have you seen a shift since you've really made an effort to change your own behavior? Yeah. Uh, first of all, my family undeservingly never abandoned me. Ever. One time, that's another story. But anyway, I can't even describe how happy um, and how nice my life is. And I've known this. I've, I, I put together a couple years before um, and then did a really cool thing with a big family event and then had to reward myself. Yeah, had to reward myself. I'm beyond it. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm never going to do it again because I don't even think about ever. I don't think about ever. I wake up and I ask God for 24. That's it, man. That's all I want. And in that 24, I, I'm certain that I am not as productive as I could and should be. I have a lot of... I, I don't want to call them mental because I'm all right mentally, but brain issues. Um, I recently got a book from an old friend my sweetheart in Texas, childhood crush, Karen. And uh, it's called Healing the Attic Brain. By page three or four, I'm already getting discouraged, depressed. Page 16, I'm done. Can't even do it no more. Um, Why? They showed a x-ray. I, I would. It's an X-ray and, and or a photo of uh, of a good brain, healthy brain, healthy brain. Yeah. Then they showed a uh, same thing of a, a bad brain, drug, alcohol, whatever. And um, <laughs> I, I just like I almost I didn't cry like tears, but inside it something hit you dropped, and now and I'm thinking oh my. God, no, I'm wondering, we don't even know how old this guy's, this person, this skull, whatever, how old they are, and or how many years, and or what they've used. I've done it all for f over 40 years, in and out. What must my brain look like? Now, the bad brain, and they had a couple different examples, looked like a piece of dry ice that had been in the sun and disformed and 
big holes, gaping holes in it, and just. So I shot the book, and that was it. That was it. But I have to say that I've only known you a couple weeks, and we're going to talk about a project you're working on, which is a book. And I think that's amazing. But you're a very smart guy. You have an incredible vocabulary. And you stay pretty focused. So my question is, do you have to work hard at that? I mean, are you working? Roger, I can't multitask. No, I used to be, I used to be pretty swift. But I am clearly handicapped. Now, I've handicapped myself. Um, I have no memory. Um, say the question again, Roger. So I'm just wondering, do you have to work hard at oh, staying focused? Yes. Yes, I do. And and is that an example just now that you had to ask me again? Yeah. Yeah, it happens all the Now, my brothers and sisters the, tell you mm -hmm. it's a hereditary thing, and perhaps it is. My mother gets upset, and she's 85, and I said, Mom, I'm 57, and I'm already worse than you. I don't want to hear it. Don't quit crying, you know, and laugh at her. Um, but, yeah, I have difficulties, and... And smoking marijuana, which is what I've done for the almost two years that I've got, you know, the, the first time I got straight for two years, it was completely N.A. Not specifically, I didn't do all that was required. And N.A. is Narcotics Anonymous. Anonymous. Okay. Right. But I did not use any form, any substances, mind-altering substances. And I am not here to say I got the Kool-Aid, because I don't. I have... I, this got nothing to do with anybody else's recovery. This is what I do. So, Joe, you mentioned earlier that you were in a home for about a year. How old were you then, and where were you? I had just turned 15, and I was in a place called Berkshire Farm for Boys in Canaan, New York. I think it's, yeah, about an hour outside of Albany. <clears throat> what was the environment like? Um, fittest, only the fittest survive. You know, not like you're killing people, but the toughest you're in a, tough. you're in a, I, I, um, if I thought I was tough, you know, and I was all right, I just went to a place where there's about 300 more guys tougher and bigger. And so, yeah, it's, uh, five boroughs. And every upstate city in the state, Buffalo, Rochester, Syracuse, Utica. So when you got there, what, what was it like your first day? Wow. It was crazy. Unbelievable first day. I think I probably hadn't even been there eight hours. You go to, you know, get your clothes issued and all your stuff. <clears throat> get assigned to a cottage. In the cottage, there are, I, I don't recall, I want to say there was like 20 people, but it might not have been that many. It might have been a, over, I don't know, 15, seemed like a lot when I first got there. But anyway, the first memory I have is this big dude, his name is David Williams. And I don't recall why, and he didn't come and do anything, but he, I just got the, it was clear that he was giving me a, you know, checking me. You know, like to say he's the... Well, anyways, that got forgotten about. I don't even remember how, when it all, and all the stuff happened that 
that just got dropped. That night they had a riot, which was, you know, I have, I've been there about eight hours now. First night, there's a riot. So six inches of water in the entire building, pretty big building. Well, in, in our sleeping areas. Okay. Plugging toilets, mm -hmm. screwing up this. When and you that. say right, were people fighting too, or was it more Should, just no causing uh, vandalism? Okay. Yeah, vandal. You know, hell no, we want to go whatever. Um, just breaking furniture, ripping pillows, mattresses, blah blah blah. Now I don't know what I, I get. Obviously, I was doing something, and the cottage father. At this place, there are two sets of uh, male and females, um, three on, three off, whatever, three and a half days on. And they, they ha literally have a little back place where they sleep at night. Or there's a staff house up on the hill. Anyways, this guy, I, apparently he's, I really didn't even know what was going on. I just Somebody grabbed me and then started screaming in my face and then, you know, I just swang. And I caught him, probably not hard or anything. And he probably yoked me up. I really don't know what transpired after that. I do know that he could have completely ruined my life forever. Because I was supposed to, you know, because that... If you hit one of the Oh, staff. God, you hit a staff at any of those places. And this is the 70s. I'm sure the rules were a little more stringent back then. I, I'm certain of it, that this guy saved my behind. Um, his name is Al Irwin, and I love him to this day. I've never been able to locate him. <clears throat> but uh, so the next day, it was weird. The next day we go to the chow hall, and this is where, you know, it's like army ants, the upper complex, you're marching pretty much. And you could tell everybody, like, you know, it already got around. It, like, spread like wildfire. So, and everybody's looking at me like I'm a condemned man. You know, I'm out of here. I just hit a staff member. I don't know what happened, how it, oh, I, I'm certain Al himself stopped it all. He must, there's no other solution. But I don't know what he did to stop me from being immediately sent, you know, charged. And then another whatever. That would probably be a felony hitting a staff member. Anyway, the, the other guys in the cottage figured, you know, who the fuck is this guy? And that was the same look I got. I got, like, dead man walking look in the chow hall, but I also got, like, and from that day on, Al Irwin. I got kicked out of there 11 months later with a stack, two-inch stack of individual incident reports. Predominantly violent. You were getting in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I, I got a taste for it. I mean, I, I was. I mean, at that point, Danny Tinner kicked my ass in Columbus or uh, Southside Park. Bruno Saracino whooped me up in Columbus Park. So I, I guess maybe I was learning, and you know, I wasn't gonna let that shit happen too much more. But at this time, are you feeling like are you going down a path of I'm? Oh, it. It's over. I'm all bets are off with authority. Is that what you mean? Yes. Yeah, I'm not. I don't care. 
I, I just didn't. Um, I was, I'm sure I wasn't the baddest badass in Berkshire Farms history, but I, it, was a, it was a long, hard ride. So you get out of there, and then, then what happens? When does the drug start? Well, I'm smoking pot the whole time at Berkshire Farm. Um, I get out, I'm 16, smoking pot, drinking. No other hard drugs. Uh, did we do? I think we might have did. No, not at 16. Smoking pot, drinking booze. Not a big drinker. Not at all. Can't hold it. Not one of them. Not a Jekyll and Hyde guy. Not a mean drunk at all. I'm looking for the cutest chick in the place when I'm drunk. Um, but 18. 18 is when cocaine... Um, when I did cocaine for the first time. And it was in the midst of a uh, first love blues breakup that I completely deserved and was undeserving of her. And uh, quickly, if I learned about cocaine as quickly as I learned about love, I'd have been a millionaire. Um, I heard her and... Uh, it just never left, and, I, and I'm still sorry to this day. But um, to get back to what happened, Southside Park flagpole, summer of 1980, with a friend, a girl, drinking a Jenny beer, sitting on the little... Two guys, friends of mine, older guys, were in a car on the street and yelled out my name, Joy, come here. I used to always hang out with the older guys when I came back from Berkshire Farm. And um, they handed me a McDonald's tray and some white line on it. And I did a sniff in each nostril. You weren't afraid? No. Not at all. And um, went back to the flagpole and in about six minutes a little drip down my nostril and the, and then I yelled out because they were still there hanging out in the car and uh, I yelled out you know, hey so and so any more and I went over did some more four days later um, shot it injected cocaine somebody injected me with cocaine and, uh, and you're 18. And I was 18. Beast. Uh, the reason I say that, not like an arrogant, pompous ass. Because later down the years, I, I realized this is kind of abnormal. But go figure. So that night, four days later, I go in on an amount of cocaine with some friends. This other friend is shooting us all up. So, my turn comes. He does it. And nothing. And I'm looking at him. Everybody's looking at me because this is the first time. You didn't feel anything? Nothing. Zero. Nada. Don't know what's nothing. So they go around the horn again. Comes to me. They put more in it. A little more at this time. 
again, I'm looking at them. Now they're looking at me like I'm lying, like I'm trying to get more for my, <laughs> for what I chipped in. Sick as that sounds. Um, and I said, listen, tell, maybe I'm missing it. Tell me what, you know, what the fuck am I supposed to be? And the, and, and the guy that's doing me says, listen, I really don't want to give you a verbatim. But he said, if this next one doesn't work, you're starting to scare me. We got to stop. You, you, I can't do it to, again. So the third time, um, they put more, even more than the first two times. And once he did what he did, and it's just, uh, it's not even pleasant talking about. Um, first thought, <clears throat> I don't know where, I mean, what it came first, the flop or the effect. I don't really want to describe it. There's no need to of what was going on with the effect and the elation and the euphoric stuff of the drug. But somewhere, I thought, oh my God, I know why they fucking kill old ladies and rob purses in New York City. Where that came from, I'll never know. That was my first thought, and you'd have thought that that would have been enough. Did I, but it was, it was too late. One was, you know, had they, you know, this is it, again, this is all me. Um, Rod, you mentioned something about my book. My book's name is gonna be, if anybody ever did to me what I did to myself, I'd kill him. So I don't want anybody to ever misinterpret that I lay blame any, it begins and ends with me, it has since I was five. Um, but that was, uh, it's, it was like, it was the, uh, to give you a, like a half-assed analogy, that would be like walking into a bar some night or restaurant and uh, Christy Brinkley came up to you and said, take me home or something, you know. It was that, I could, there was no no, there was no going back. Um, on to the next one, looking for the next one doing what you gotta do for the next one. It's just fucking evil. And um, mind you, I couldn't inject myself. I don't know that yet. I'm not that smart or whatever it requires. But one time I couldn't find the guy who does it. And I just mentally reenacted and did it in my room. And I told you after the third time when I started, life changed. Now life really changed. Now I don't need anybody. Now I'm, I'm full blown. I'm, I'm, I'm like gone on cocaine. And uh, it, it came before everything. There's no, <clears throat> you know, I, have, I, I can't even begin to tell you. Um, it would reduce me to tears. We'd be here for days. It's stuff that I'll write about in the book. That's kind of what this is about for me um, and why I'm so grateful to have found you because this has been something I wanted to do for, for quite a while. Um, 
lot of it is, uh, I owe my community. And this isn't, uh, how do I say this, man? I'm not looking for absolution or definitely not fucking looking for pity. You know what I mean? If you see me in a fight with a bear, poor honey, I mean, help the bear. Um, I feel in my heart, there's no, it's, it's uh, undeniable. I owe my community. I took, I was a part, <clears throat> real big part of the problem, right in my own neighborhood. Now, did I go rob houses and, you know, and all that stuff? No, but did I steal from a few friends? Yeah. Did I steal from my family? Yeah. Did I steal from stores or whatever? Yeah. Um, did I sell drugs in and about the streets of Binghamton, New York? Right here where we sit, Roger. I've shot up more cocaine in these two blocks than I could ever recall. And gave my life away. You know, I mean, there's no, like we said in the beginning, mommy, daddy, Mrs. McNulty, sister Regina, none of them did this to me. Um, I was already kind of a rough character, a little wild when I was a kid, and for whatever reasons. But it's damn sure has got nothing to do with my upbringing and or my community and or my closest friends, my close-knit downtown center city friends who are predominantly Italian and black. Um, Joe Yannese did this to Joe Yannese. Tune in next week for part two of our episode with Joseph Yannese. And to receive bonus footage, and behind-the-scenes images, click on the link in the show notes to subscribe. Thanks for tuning in to American Real. Be sure to visit our website, AmericanReal.tv, or search for us on iTunes or YouTube for past episodes. While you're there, please rate us or leave us a review, as that helps others find our show. I am truly grateful and appreciate all of your support. If you'd like to be part of our inner circle or want one-on-one -on -one coaching, Check out the American Real Learning Academy, where we have self-help groups and courses so you can build the best you. We also have a new Facebook group where you can connect with high achievers from around the world. If you want to go even further, maybe you're determined to write your own book or launch your own podcast, contact me today to see if we could help. You can reach me through Instagram or Facebook or email me directly at roger at americanreal.tv. And speaking of podcasting, our next course will be starting soon. So if you're interested in launching your own podcast, join me at Podcast Your Passion. I'll take you through my eight-week course where I'll mentor you to build a world-class podcast. I'm only taking on a small group of people who want to share their passion through broadcasting, where I'll have you up on iTunes and YouTube within weeks so you can podcast your passion. Click on the link below for more information. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.